VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Stopwatch is going on. So when I was in supermarket at the weekend, mm. I have never seen such a display of advent calendars. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything now uh, is you can get little parcels of everything, can't you? You can get a cheese advent calendar. Can you? You can get all Quite of the spirits. Uh, yeah, so mm. am I actually. Yeah. Oh no, I don't want the spirits. <laughs> lots of coffees now. Lots mm. of t- different teas. It's too much. It's what the baby Jesus would have wanted, though. Yeah. Anyway, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get you one. Oh. <laughs> if you thought that's where the conversation. That little was going. anecdote started really promisingly. No, um, but it's a couple of weeks before we start on the first of December. Yes, that's when Advent is. Yes, <laughs> right. Uh, now Fia's got very strict, and she set a stopwatch um, for this edition of Off Air. So mm. let's see if we can achieve perfection and reach the target she has set. This is a very erudite edition because we have as our guest Philippa Gregory, best known as a novelist, but she has just written um, what I would describe as a, a genuinely fascinating non-fiction, great big chunky tome about women's history, um, going back over 900 years from the Battle of Hastings to 1994. That's so, quite a long time. It's quite, it's quite I love 1994. Time. That's quite. A, it's quite a specific cut-off, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I must confess, I don't think. I don't I think don't we asked. You'd be absolutely livid to have been normal in '95. Yeah, just missed it. Just missed the boat. 1994, notable, of course, for well, she ends it with the ordination of women by the Church of England, which, of course, was utterly unthinkable around the Battle of Hastings. Yeah. yeah. So we have made progress. Do you ever think that we should just talk about that a little bit more? I think, well, uh, I think, what, want to, I mean, did you want to be a lady vicar? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, but but I think all of these things, um, we, because I think we're still so dedicated to progress, mm. and we should be within the feminist movement, sometimes we don't just take a breath and go, wow, mm. the pace of change has been huge. Yes. And we've done well, sisters. Well, sometimes the pace has, well, slowed and then stalled. And in fact, things have gone back. Yes. Well, and that's... that's she another... actually talks about that, doesn't she? Yeah, but that's yeah. another reason for us slightly marking our own cards all the time, isn't it? Because you see it slipping away in other parts of the world at the moment mm. in a truly horrific yeah. speed. Yes, that's certainly true. Yeah. 
So, oh dear, you do find us in rather sombre mood. Yeah, here. I'm sorry about that no, too, but it's a reality. It is it? a reality. Very quite shying away from that. Okay. Um, so uh, this weekend had many highlights. Not least uh, for me was my first ever trip on the East Midlands Railway Network. Now, why were you travelling on the East Midlands well, and not Avanti West? Well, because I, I did travel on Avanti West, but that was just quick up and down to Liverpool. But then I went to see a friend in Leicestershire, and in order to do that, you have to go on East Midlands Railway, and you know the upgrade. What's happened with the upgrade? Well, it's only 12 quid. And it was very busy, the train back. So and how long's the journey? Treated myself well, engineering work, you see. So two and a half hours on the way back. It's quite a long, quite a length of time. But two and a half hours mm. It's not it, it for 12 quid? Upgrade. Yeah. And my main ticket was about 30 quid. So that's not bad, actually. Well, Jane. that's not bad. But why is rail travel so expensive? I don't know why is rail travel so expensive. Because sometimes, I mean, people will have a view on this, but sometimes those on-the-day prices are just incredible. You know, hundreds of quid. Oh, my God. It's a farce. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, but it was, um, yes, it was rather enjoyable. And hats off to East Midlands Railway for having the cheapest weekend upgrade I've ever come across. Well, to anyone who's still listening, can I just (laughs) say, do you get in touch with your... I'll tell you what, I mean, the clock is ticking, Jane, and that that railway anecdote... (laughs) People who journey through Kettering on a regular basis will completely get what I'm talking about. Okay. Uh, Hello, Jane and Fee. I've listened to you since you were in your former life. I love that. I feel sometimes like uh, people must feel when they leave the army... It's definitely the day we were demobbed. Yes. Well, not so much demobbed as just found that our security passes didn't work anymore. Heartbreaking times. <laughs> Carol says you mentioned that you don't always enjoy theatre but love pantomime. So that is true of the both of us. But actually, it's only me who doesn't really like theatre. Jane absolutely loves it. She's fallen back in love with the theatre. My sister, age 79, and myself, 74, come to London from South Manchester every year to get some special sister time. We lost our elder sister over 20 years ago. She was only 59, and we miss her terribly. I'm so sorry about that. That's such a... Do you know what? You just must have the most terrible kind of tapping on your shoulder all the time if you've lost a sibling. Yeah. Uh, As, you know, you uh, almost... It's kind of your... Your life is indulging in old age, isn't it? And Mm. somebody can't be on that journey with you. Anyway, uh, although we meet every week for a catch-up, we love our carefree weekend away every year and always wish that there were still three of us doing it. Uh, To get back to the theatre, we've made a point of seeing a production from The Mischief Company when we can. I hated slapstick as a girl, but now appreciate how clever their timing is. Oh, they're the people who do the play that goes wrong, all those things. Yes. Oh, okay. I bet they are good. Yes. And, And actually, I have seen that with my daughter and well do you know what it was at an age where she was a little bit reluctant um to always uh, stay the course at things that we went to see so i said quite willingly well we'll always get half time you call it the interval don't you? yes get half time. those of us who have fallen back in love with theater do know it as the <laughs> interval correct uh anyway so i said we can go at half time uh if it's not right, and you couldn't have prized us out of our seats at oh, the end, okay. we would have just quite happily just stayed and waited for it to start all over again. It was so fantastic. Uh, so, Carol, thank you for making that recommendation. And I mention it because actually, I just get the feeling that I've been wrong to be quite so dismissive about theatre. And every time someone writes in, I remember another thing I've been to see and really enjoyed. <laughs> so, I'm sorry about that. Really terrible. <laughs> um, uh, thanks to everybody who's emailed uh, your thoughts about prison and prison life. Uh, but this is just a quick one from Sarah. 
uh, Chris Atkins slurping his tea really loudly was really minging on... It was loud. Was it loud? It was so loud. Okay, because I know I have a bit of form in the old chomping department, Uh, so I'm very sorry about that. He was very interesting, wasn't he? Uh, No harm meant to him in any way, says Sarah. I listen to the show with my noise-cancelling headphones while I wait for my three kids to get to sleep, so I'm sure this amplified the sound of the slurping a bit. I'm a long-time listener to your podcast. I'm in Northern Ireland, and it's the first time I've emailed in. I'm going to hopefully email something more interesting next time. Yes, work on that one, Sarah, (laughs) although you have been included, so, you know, we we obviously liked it, so please don't worry about it. Uh, This one comes in from Joe, who says, Imagine my surprise to hear you mention the Falklands whilst on a morning constitutional around, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'll give it a go, Ushuaia, which is at the end of the world in southern Argentina. Well, I would love to hear from people in Argentina right now because of their their new president, mm. who uh, strikes me as being an interesting figure. Yeah. Carry on. Uh, Joe says, why um, I hear you might ask, well, having arrived after a two-day trip from Brisbane, although originally from the UK, I'd expected to go on an expedition boat from Ushuaia to South Georgia and then on to the Falklands. However, mechanical failure due to a rough Drake passage... And now avian flu means that we have a slightly shorter trip just to the Antarctica. Ah. (laughs) So I would love to know what the Falklands are like. Still hopeful, going to have a good night sleeping on the ice, a polar plunge and some kayaking, not to mention seeing all the wildlife. Uh, But Joe goes on to say avian flu is having such a devastating impact in the north and south. I wouldn't be surprised if the whole of Antarctica is off limits for a couple of years. Very sad to see all the birds dying. It's crossing to other species now too. And stuff like that, Jane, we're not taking enough notice of that. Well, I just didn't know anything about it. The whole of Antarctica might be off limits for a couple of years. I know that's not going to help with your travel fear, is it? And your travel anxiety. No. No. Uh, uh, Kettering's one thing, but that's something else. Uh, Glyn says, as a footnote to last week's discussion of prison systems around the globe, I do recommend the podcast Ear Hustle, which looks at the realities of life inside the US prison system from the inmates' perspective. It's It's brilliant, brilliant, isn't it? I've heard some of those. Absolutely excellent. Glyn says, do start at the very beginning for reasons which will become clear. And Birgit says, I've worked in a prison in Freiburg near the Black Forest for 14 months. I'm the head teacher of our school. Our adult prisoners there can do apprenticeships, um, cooking, chefing, carpenter, mechanic, or do their GCSE equivalent or study. Uh, There is a special university in Germany offering bachelor's and master's degrees in distance learning. Most of our students try to learn German and get language certificates, though. We also do literacy and numeracy courses. Uh, Prison is hard, but here there is the attempt to punish and to support a reintegration on behalf of the state. And that does make sense, doesn't it? That, yes, provide education, help people get back outside and lead useful and productive lives. Mm. I thought, I mean, there were some astonishing statistics in Chris Atkins' interview, weren't there? And one of the most notable ones, I thought, was that 60% of inmates are back inside after a year if they've been on short sentences. So that's just just not working with bells on. No. That's astonishing, isn't it? Yeah, they're not working at all. Uh, Celebrity Toilets is still going strong. Oh, is this the one from Paul? 
No, this is Sarah. Oh, okay. Hello again. Still single, but Balls a day... in the queue outside. Don't right. be too long. Yeah. Actually, that reminds me. Matt, it's the same old story. I was at St Prancos yesterday. She'll never laugh at one of my jokes, no, Eve. I won't. No. Uh, what a glittering life I lead. Uh, so, St Pancras Station, which is more like a shopping arcade. It's wonderful, isn't it? <laughs> it's both wonderful and it's it's shimmering, isn't it? It is. But it's got everything. You can get tampons and a macaron just in the same hundred yards. You can, you can actually. I'm sorry. I just don't get macaron. I will never spend money on those brightly coloured but hardly sustaining snacks. <laughs> just, just do not get it. But it's a proper glamour place to arrive, isn't it? What it is. is that artwork that underneath the beautiful clock that says, I think it says, I want to spend my time with you in beautiful pink letters. Oh, I don't know. Oh, it's, it's right it's under in the digital clock. art. It's, yes, it's absolutely gorgeous. Okay. It, it really marks St Pancras out as being substantially nicer than bloody Euston. Yes, OK. Sorry. Uh, hello again, says Sarah. Still single, but date lined up for the weekend. Everything crossed for you, Sarah. I used to work, she says, in one of the large theatres in London in the thousands. I was watching a play with a friend and at the interval headed up to my office to use the loos. After locking the door, I heard the incredibly familiar voice of the late Una Stubbs ask, asking us to hurry up. I've met a lot of celebrities, but Aunt Sally in the toilets was one of my faves. She was absolutely brilliant in Wurzel Gummidge. Oh, Did you like Gummidge. it? Oh, I loved Wurzel. For me, is the TV equivalent of nails going down a blackboard. I, I just hated that programme. It had, gave me the giggles. We have so much in common and yet disagree <laughs> so profoundly about so many things. That's another oh, one. Oh, <laughs> I hated it, hated it, Genius. Hated it. Uh, Paul says this, uh, it's about toilet encounters and he does admit that this might be an apocryphal story about David Coleman. Do you know it? I don't I know. I have heard it before, but I'm not sure whether it was This apocryphal. is David Coleman, who the was... The BBC Sports presenter. Yes, I mean, he was Desmond Lynham before there was Desmond Lynham. Yes, he yeah. was an early Des. Yeah. Uh, he was in the States reporting on a large sporting event and whilst at the venue had to make a trip to the gents. Whilst using the facilities, he noticed a man whom he was sure he knew, but he just couldn't put a name to the face. When he came out of the toilets, he saw the man speaking to a number of other men in suits and thought he had just introduced himself. He walked over, caught the man's eye and offered his hand... It was washed. Introducing himself as David Coleman, BBC London. The man shook his hand and said, Gerald Ford, President of the United States. <laughs> don't care if it's apocryphal. It's lovely. It's still it's good. lovely, Paul. Thank uh, you. We can't, I don't think I'll name this person, but they say, I can't contribute to meeting celebrities in toilets, but I do have quite a few stories about losing them. Well, listen to this, V. I'm an entertainment producer for a 7pm show where most nights we have a live guest. I don't know whether it is that what else can it be our studio is on a level of the building that's a total maze and it really disorientates visitors often a guest will ask to use the bathroom I don't understand that why do they want a bath a loo fine but the bath I never understand that anyway to which I show them there to the bathroom I learned very quickly that loitering outside the facilities is quite creepy but it was the only way I wouldn't lose my guest. I have now taken to standing one corner turn away from the facility, but it's not a perfect solution. Guests will still sometimes barrel out of the toilets, look left and right, not see me standing down the way and walk the other direction. 
When this happens, a strange Tom and Jerry type of game <laughs> ensues, whereby we're both circling the floor, me trying to find the guest, them trying to find the green room. The guest never mind when I eventually clock them again and we have a giggle, but gosh, if it weren't so weird to loiter outside bathrooms, I'd save myself and them a lot of time. Yeah, I know what she means there. You can't stand too close to the... Oh, no, she might can't. hear something. And the person inside knows that you might hear, and that's terrible, isn't it? It would be just <laughs> dreadful. How are we doing for time? We're doing fine, so I put an 18-minute stopwatch on this, and we're at 13.45. It just adds such wonderful jeopardy. It does, To what it? is already a scintillating experience. Well, the problem is that we've been uh, topping out at about 51, 52, sometimes 59 minutes. Okay, too this much. This podcast is meant to be 35 minutes long. Oh my goodness, is yes, it really? Yeah. Okay, so we're in the unusual position of providing extra content. Extra content. Jane, we're not being paid, love. <laughs> yeah, you've made me think about that now. <laughs> okay. Too much girth <laughs> and not enough remuneration. Uh, shall we bring in our guest? Yes, or- please. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Philippa Gregory is a world-renowned historian and novelist, uh, but she has a new work of non-fiction out, which I do heartily recommend. If you are studying history, maybe you're at school or you're someone whose child is doing A-level history, this book is a real... It's a must-buy, I would say. It's called Normal Women. It's being called the culmination of Philippa's life's work, and it's her attempt to cover 900 years of our history from the female perspective. It is a big, chunky tome and a passion project as well, and it takes us from 1066 and the impact of the Battle of Hastings on the lives of women right up to 1994 and the ordination of female priests by the Church of England. Philippa has always kept women and female characters front and centre in her fiction, but I asked her if writing this book has always been in the back of her mind. I think the book really came out of the fiction in the sense that people kept saying to me, how do you find these fantastic women? And I kept uh, saying, well, I just looked in the records and then I found them. And I really, it took me, it seems now looking back, a long time to realise that it wasn't that I was just finding one extraordinary woman and then looking again and finding another one. It's that the records are absolutely full of extraordinary women, but they don't make it into the pages of traditional history books. So this is really the start of an attempt at a national history of the women of England who are not in the national history of England, usually. What we read as the national history of England is actually the history of white men. And why have we, as women, allowed that to be the case? I think because we didn't twig it straight away. So if you think that when history was invented as an academic study, it was in an all-male university. So it was researched by men and taught by men and written by men and published and critiqued by men. So it's not really until the 1950s that women start saying, uh, why are there no histories of women? Why don't we know what women were doing in this period? You've got to really, you know, in a sense, you accept what you're given in a way. And it's only later I mean, in a way now, like we start saying, like, why doesn't medicine make allowances for women? Why don't we know about women's symptoms and women's illnesses? I think there's a real it takes a while. You you accept the science or the or the or the scholarship that you're given. It takes a while to actually say there's a huge gap here, but nobody's noticed it. Can I just say that my my honest reaction to reading this was, yes, it's absolutely fascinating. There are some incredible incredible nuggets of information here, but it's just made me angry, Philippa. Is is that is that the right response? 
I don't think I would ever tell any reader how to respond to anything because always people read, they read what they're ready for. And that's the same in novels as well. I, I can write what I like, but I'm amazed at what people read from the thing that I've just written. So, you know, maybe you're just a kind of angry woman. I mean, I can't oh, I help am, you yes. with that. No, no, well, I, I suppose I'm angry. I should have explained it really. I'm angry because so little has changed, honestly. That's the terrible truth, that women are still treated exceptionally badly in many, many parts of the world. Certainly in England, we're doing relatively well. But um, the final chapter lists the number of women killed by men, for example, in 2019. And it's it's horrific. It just that problem of violence against women has been omnipresent for our entire history. Absolutely. And actually, it was more criminal and more challenged in previous generations. It's extraordinary to me that, um, you know, the, the murder of partners or wives is now at between two and three a week. And uh, the, you know, and we know the rape statistics, the, the number of rapists accused and imprisoned is less now than in medieval times. Can we start then with the way you start the book, which is around the time of the Norman Conquest? Is it true that women actually went backwards as a result of the arrival of of William the Conqueror? Absolutely. And what was really interesting to me was that usually the 1066 invasion of England is expressed in military history very clearly. It's expressed in male history in terms of here's one king beating another king and bringing in a whole new line of kings. But what we kind of don't see there is that women who were landowners, who were Anglo-Saxon landowners, women who had rights as Anglo-Saxon wives, even to divorce their husbands, uh, to leave uh, their their own fortunes to keep their own fortunes to leave those fortunes to daughters if they wanted to who had quite a high level of literacy who had quite a high level of land ownership all of those women lose all of their lands immediately lose all of their rights immediately and come under feudal law and if you are the wife of a lord under feudal law you own nothing in your own right you quite often run the place because he's off at war but actually that's by in how so many women end up running things by being the best person available for the job, not by right. And if you're the wife of a serf, you are the only thing lower than you is one of his animals. He owns you like he owns the ox that pull the plough. And there's a pattern here that you establish quite clearly in the book. So with the restoration of the monarchy after the Civil War, uh, patriarchy makes a comeback then as well. And then again, after the Second World War, women who'd played a real part in fighting and winning the war are put very firmly back in their place in the domestic sphere. It happens time and time again. It's not just war. It's any kind of disruption or chaos or... uh, difficulty in society, uh, women step forward into the absent places, into the places where men are absent or where men are incapable of dealing with the new emergency. They they move forward, they get jobs, they get rights, they advance at all levels into education, into opportunities, into all sorts of things. And then when you get the restoration of peace and security, the first thing that happens is that the old boys network works 
and the government works and women are pushed back out of the opportunities they've moved into. And actually, the former senior civil servant, Helen McNamara, gave her evidence to the COVID inquiry. And guess what? Um, Exactly what you've just said happened during the pandemic as well. I'm, I'm sure it's it's absolutely a consequence that, that it's what people talk about when they talk about a reserve army, that basically women are there, women are used in our society to be called on when they're needed. And uh, the whole ideology about uh, women are best in the home and that children really need a mother and that nobody can look after a baby but its mother, all of that comes into play when you want women out of the workplace and back into their homes. I think the book makes such a fantastic point about single women as well, Philippa. And uh, there's a lovely phrase that you use when you're talking about this in Victorian times. Uh, They, single women, were increasingly called surplus women. Uh, The Victorian political economist W.R. Gregg wrote a standout pompous essay on the surplus woman problem, proposing that if only ladies were more charming and wives less demanding of husbands, women would find that bachelors were willing to marry them. Uh, I wonder whether you can just uh, just tell us about some of the fantastic normal women who aren't and haven't in the past been recorded by history. Some of those beautiful, wonderful, clever, funny, surplus women. Well, even earlier than that, there's some wonderful women who are artists and poets uh, at the Elizabethan and the Stuart Courts that we hardly ever hear about. Um, There's women who were enslaved that we've know very, very little about, but we quite often come across them in adverts, which describes them quite accurately physically because the owners are hiring slave takers to recapture them. Um, we, You know, there's all sorts of women. There's women explorers, of course. There's a lot of women spies, especially in during the Civil War. You have a big cohort of women spying on both sides. And you have women she soldiers in the civil wars. There's a belief that there are entire regiments officered and staffed by women uh, fighting for both sides. Charles I didn't like having women in his army and he said that it was against God and that he didn't want them. But actually, a lot of towns the whole siege was held by women. And of course, what we do know about occasionally is some of the heroic ladies who held their castles and houses against siege. There's one wonderful woman, I think Latham House, and she spends a siege embroidering a bed hanging and says that she'll die rather than leave. And she actually doesn't die. She goes out with a a troop and uh, attacks the besiegers and breaks the siege herself. There's a lot in the book about religion and about the influence of the church. And it actually strikes me that uh, you'd have had to be mad as a woman not to want to enter a convent for large parts of English history, because you were much better off in one, weren't you, as, as as a female? It was, I mean, one of the things that, you know, when we talk about the Reformation, one of the things I have almost never read anywhere is that at the Reformation, about 1,200 women are thrown out of their homes and out of work. And although men could transfer from the Roman Catholic Church, uh, now reformed and abolished, into the Church of England, because there was no female priesthood, nuns and women who had been in the abbeys uh, had nothing to do. They just had to try and make a life for themselves in the outside world. And interestingly, most of them did not even 
in that emergency decide to marry. They found ways to live. Some of them actually went and moved into houses in a group of six or seven of them and and tried to live, obviously. Uh, it looks very much like they were trying to live as if the convent was still supporting them. It, I mean, and of course, when the convents and the, the abbeys and the nunneries were running, it was a women-only massive institution with its own power structure and its own career structure, its own education, its own wealth uh, and its own ambitions. So if you were a senior abbess, you were on the same level as a bishop. You were a prince of the church. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now we're in conversation with the historian Philippa Gregory about her new book, nonfiction this time. It's called Normal Women. Now throughout the narrative, Philippa makes reference to same-sex relationships. And I put it to her that it was really interesting that actually for large parts of our history, they were mostly uncontroversial. Um, I think... What's been really interesting to me is, see, is to see how little uh, women loving women appear in the traditional historical record that we have. And actually, they have been specifically sort of explored and discovered by women wanting to write, you know, what's now known as queer history, um, the history of people outside the heterosexual normality. Um, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of women who prefer the company of women and prefer to live with other women. There's a tremendous number in the 18th century of female husbands, so much so that that's a phrase that you would use without explanation in, in a newspaper or in conversation in which women are marrying each other in church and the priest is officiating and the clerk is entering it into the parish register. I mean, it's incredible to me now to think how taboo that topic grew, um, particularly, I suppose, uh, between the First and the Second World War. Mm. Uh, when people became more and more anxious about uncontrolled female sexuality. But earlier, uh, in the medieval period, where everybody accepted that women were sexual and that that wasn't a particular problem, it was fine then. And then later, when women assumed, when everyone was assumed or ladies were assumed to be pretty well frigid or asexual, uh, lesbianism was almost completely concealed then because people assumed that if a woman was living with another woman, it was a sentimental friendship. It was not a sexual relationship. So there was no condemnation of it at all. It was actually rather regarded rather well as a way of mopping up uh, the surplus women, which you described earlier. Yeah. Who really stays with you, Philippa? Um, my big favourite is Agnes Hotot 
who is a medieval woman in about the 1400s, whose father was uh, having to undertake a joust to prove his ownership of some land against a man who was claiming the land. And her father was taken ill just before he was due to joust. So she put on her own armour. She had her armour already and she got on her own horse. So she was an experienced jouster, which we simply don't think of in the sort of medieval chivalric stories. And she went out and she spanked him and she knocked him (laughs) off this horse and he was down on the ground and as he was lying on the ground she dismounted from her horse she took off her helmet I imagine her shaking out her hair in the traditional gesture of uh, female beauty and then she took off the breastplate of her armor so everybody could see her breasts and know that a woman had defeated this man who was challenging her family for their land and she married into the Dudley family and they admired her so much that they created a crest of a woman uh, bare-breasted with uh, helmet on. She's just a great, you know, symbol of women who were perfectly normal for their time, though celebrated, um, but uh, that we can hardly imagine now. You've literally, you know, when I came across the crest, first of all, I I had no idea what I was seeing. I must be absolutely honest. uh, When I said I was angry about the book, Philippa, there were parts of it, there were parts of women's behaviour in the book that annoyed me. And um, you do say that it was mostly women who bore the scrutiny and censure from other women. And that, I'm afraid, is still the case in the 21st century, isn't it? We allow ourselves to be, I think, to fall into this this trap of letting us judge other women all the time. We just don't stop. I agree. It is it is really a problem. And I think the difficulty is accepting at the very beginning the idea that women are... are t- are supposed to have a certain nature and that they and that nature is of course not natural at all that nature is invented by men and then when we in a sense pick up on it we'd say now internalize it we then hold ourselves to a standard which no mortal being could ever reach and then we try and hold other women to that standard as well because that's how we think we're going to get along in the world mm. if we try and try and try reach these absurd standards of chastity and good behavior sobriety modesty ambition you know, but not being bossy, hardworking, but not trying to be top, yeah. um, you know, working extraordinary vocational work, not not aiming for money, not being greedy. All of these things are part of the sort of aspirational female behaviour, which has been literally sold to us. And I think the difficulty of that is that not only do you judge yourself, which we all know is such a painful process, but you also judge other women. And it comes from the from accepting at the very beginning this idea that women have a nature which is defined by men, not which has been genuinely researched to see if we genuinely have it. So do you want your book to be on uh, the school syllabus? Because I, I, I did history A-level. Uh, I, can't, I wish I'd done history at university, but I didn't. But I do know that at university you can choose as a, an option, I think, women's history. Um, I mean, does that does that beyond irritate you or do you just accept that as a as something we'll have to live with for the time being? Um, I think what would be nice is if we understood that all of the history that isn't labelled women's history is actually men's history. I mean, I think that would be helpful. Yeah. So we stop going like men are the normal. It's men's story. It's his story. And anything else is a sort of additional 
you know, side yes. sidebar study. Um, but, you know, I think, I mean, really, the main thing is that women, all women, not just women in education, but all women get some understanding that we are where we are today because of the struggles and triumphant victories of the women who went before us, who insisted upon some of the things we now take as as for granted. And also we're here we are today because not all of those battles have been won. So I believe that the violence that women experience in the streets and in the home today has a long history of uh, coming and going of violence against women being permitted, sometimes more, sometimes less. But equally, the fact that we have a vote today is because women campaigned for that and um, against one has to say, women who campaign that women should not have yes, the vote. Yeah. And we never hear about them either. So I think, you know, really what we need to understand is that we are heirs of a, a, a heritage of women's history and women's achievements and women's failures. And if we've got an idea of that, then we'd know a lot better what we should be doing in the future. The, the, the word history, is it true across all languages that it is simply his story? No, it's not. Okay. But um, wife does mean uh, often in some languages does mean second person. <laughs> okay. Last, you know, last yes. last of importance in some languages. But other languages are actually much more gender equal. Um, having said that, I'm not a linguist. I mean, no. that's, that's you're, you're taking me right outside. My yes, no, no. Knowledge. Listen, I've never, I'm now, I don't have a comfort zone of my own. But um, <laughs> it'd be interesting to find out if there is a language where the word for history doesn't actually literally mean the story mm. of men. Anyway, are you ever able to get a breakdown of the demographic that buys your books, Philippa? And do you know how many men are interested enough to read about women in history? Uh, it's early days for that. At, at the moment, I'm just absolutely going like, let's sell it to everybody. I mean, any, anyone with a pulse, I'd be trying to sell it to at the moment. <laughs> but um, I do hope to, I'm, I'm producing a children's edition uh, suitable for children, much shorter, much uh not the bit Much about more. the clitoris, possibly, which which actually had its heyday in 1559, I noticed. Oh, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're not the only one who missed it, honey. Born too late. Um, but, but, but in answer to your question, I am producing a children's edition, much shorter, uh, clearer and um, with more pictures. So much more attractive to a younger uh, reader and uh, I'm also producing a, an edition for specifically for schools to fit into the national curriculum so I do think it's important that young people very much boys and girls get some idea of the achievements of women throughout our history. Philippa Gregory Normal Women is out now and if you want to hear more about it in audio form you can check out her new podcast uh, cunningly it is also called Normal Women and it's available wherever you get your podcast this podcast so much good stuff in this book uh, including some of those just some of those nonsenses that were just blamed on women and everyone agreed, um, certainly back in the 15th century at Fee, that promiscuous women, pr promiscuous women were largely to blame for any illness. Uh, plague outbreaks had been blamed on sexually active women as God's punishment for fornication. Oh, my word. Yes. I mean, that will be it, won't it? Uh, syphilis. What was the one? Yes, the syphilis one. You mentioned it on the programme today. The, the, bring this to the audience, Jane, please. Well, no, syphilis was just thought to only be in women. It was thought to spontaneously generate in the bodies of 
of free-loving ladies and they would instantly give it to healthy men. Just oh, innocent, just... innocent fellas going about their own little bits of fornication <laughs> and these minxy, minxy ladies would give them syphilis because they'd grown it in their bodies. <sighs> People believe this. Of course they did. Every country in Europe named it after their enemy. So the Russians called it the Polish disease. In Shrewsbury in 1493, a chronicler gloomily recorded a dose of the French pox. And actually the French call periods les anglais, don't they? Do they? Yes. The English? Uh, Yeah, they do. Why? I mean, we've kind of made up with the French. Well, Made up, sometimes we fall out, centuries go by, we get on quite well, entente, cordiale and all the rest of it. But yes, absolutely they did. Yeah. But why? Just because they were having a particularly bad time Funnily enough, in the um, Hundred Years' War? Yeah, French women were never that keen on periods. I don't know why they were so bothered by them. Okay. I always loved them myself. So do you think um, a man made up the story that they'd been brought over by English women and kind of infected French women with their periods? It's possible. Perhaps we have historians listening who may be able to add more to what passes for this debate. Mm. But time is running out for you. Yeah, we've only got 20 seconds left. I wanted to say a very big hello to uh, Sarah, or maybe it's Sarah, who has sent uh, two fantastic pictures of mittens. Uh, This is Cats in Boxes, which is the theme that replaces dogs in jumpers. (laughs) Uh, And Sarah thought that we might like to see a picture of mittens, not in a Christmas jumper, but supervising a clear-out of my son's Lego from boxes and drawers. And they do like that, don't they, the cats? They do like to leap into a drawer to help. Uh, I just want to mention one other thing uh, that Sarah says in a very nice email uh, detailing her visit to Armory Prison in Leeds as well. Uh, She says, I'm a long-time listener of both your current and former podcasts. This is the second email to you fingers crossed it's read out as I'm now in competition with my sister Antonia who recently had an email read out on an Archers podcast oh and I would very much like to start something of a competition where we're very happy to read out your emails if you'd like to beat somebody else who you know, because that always goes down an absolute treat, doesn't it? If uh, if you get to be heard on this because somebody has been heard on Alistair and Rory's. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have time for this. Has Fee's appearance on The Weakest Link been televised we don't yet? have time. Good night, everybody. <laughs> Good night. That's from Maureen. Good night. God bless. <laughs> See you tomorrow. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man. It's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon.
iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.